You're listening to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network. So welcome to the podcast. This is a collaboration between the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast and the College of Paramedics Podcast. So in this episode, we're going to be uh, examining some of the ways in which we've seen paramedics diversify through a multitude of roles within the healthcare economy. So today we're going to be chatting with Gary Strong, paramedic CPD lead from the College of Paramedics, and also Caroline Phillips, my co-host on the Pre-Hospital Care podcast, paramedic and a palliative care paramedic. So the session is intended to unpack, examine, and just really have gain insight into our roles and the journey through pre-hospital care that we embody at the moment, and finally give it some insight into some of the positive and challenging aspects of how the role has diversified within the last 10 to 15 years and how paramedic practice could be in the contemporary and in the future climate. So without further ado, I'll just welcome my uh, co-host. So Gary, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for, for inviting us along. Um, it's, it's great to, um, to, to, to share in the activity and, and uh, share some stories of where paramedics are, are developing. Um, uh, we've called it um, New Horizons, haven't we? Because uh, the New Horizons for paramedic practice seem to be opening up all the time. So, um, so yeah, yeah. thanks for, for uh, sharing with us at the College of Paramedics and uh, looking forward to what we're going to explore this evening. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm with Caroline, actually. It's actually rare that me and Caroline are on the same podcast. We, we run the same podcast, but we're rarely on the same podcast. So welcome, Caroline. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. As Gary said, um, the title of this podcast really is Paramedic Careers in the 21st Century. And I think our desire really is just to unearth and examine uh, some of the diversity of roles. So without further ado, my first question really, firstly, maybe to Gary... Could you outline the diversity of roles that we actually currently see within the within the, the current climate for paramedics? And and also as an adjunct to that, it, what is distinctive in, in the profession professional DNA of a, a paramedic that makes us who we are? Uh, thanks, Owen. Um, yeah, yeah, great question, because as paramedics find more and more new horizons and more and more new roles. What is it that makes us a paramedic that makes us distinctive in our, our profession? I think that's something we need to bear in mind through this conversation. It's a real privilege to work for the College of Paramedics, actually. You, you feel like you um, are getting a little bit of a, a sort of um, uh, spotlight position on, on everything that's going on in and around the, the profession. And you, you have the privilege of um, seeing the, the different strands of, of work that people are diversifying into. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I will give a little plug, actually, for something that's on our website called the Interactive Career Framework, which is open access. You don't have to be a member to access that part. But it's something uh, we've put together over the last few years to, to try and show um, the number of different roles that paramedics are working in, both within and outside of traditional ambulance services. Uh, and because it is so varied, we've sort of tried to divide it up into uh, the sort of four pillars of, of, of clinical practice, leadership and management, education, research and development. But even that doesn't quite totally work because most of us are doing two of those, maybe three of those, maybe four of those, and maybe something else as well. So it, it's growing and evolving all the time. Uh, and you know, the, the opportunities within clinical practice um, obviously the traditional ones within ambulance service uh, and the various specialisms in in primary care and 
critical care. But many of those roles are obviously opening up outside of ambulance services. And, um, the, the number of paramedics working in primary care is growing on a regular basis. Critical care opportunities um, in, in uh, secondary provision, for example, the advanced uh, clinical practitioner pathway that the number of paramedics are pursuing in emergency departments um, around the country is a fascinating role and it's giving paramedics uh, levels of, of, of skill and knowledge and, and autonomy that I think previously we only kind of dreamed of being able to make these decisions and, and we've got to remember what's at the heart of it, it's for the patient um, and it's to be able to get a better outcome uh, for the patient in any of those contexts. And I've only just talked about clinical practice. I haven't even got onto leadership, research, development, education, but I'll, I'll, I'll think, pause there for a minute. I don't want to hog the entire conversation, but there is so much going on. There is indeed, absolutely, absolutely. So Caroline, from your perspective, what, what, what makes, a, what gives us our DNA as, as paramedics? What, what, what is, what's there as a fundamental prerequisite that maybe is carried through to some of the diversity that Gary's just mentioned? Uh, so I, I guess I think, in my opinion, what sets us perhaps aside um, from other other sort of professions is that we are hugely adaptable, um, which, you know, we, 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 I think people perhaps underestimate the fact that we're clinicians that go into a scene and we don't have any prior knowledge of patients. Um, which is quite unusual when you think about GPs or uh, district nurses or other professionals that are going into people's homes and communities. And I think that makes us really super adaptable and also quite prepared to, uh, to, to deal with things. And I think that is something that really can't be underestimated because we can really sort of lend our hand to lots of different things and actually do them quite well. Um, and I think one of the other things that is also um, really, really useful from a paramedic perspective is that we're, I think we are able to talk to people quite quickly and gain that rapport very quickly um, because we have to. And I think that over time, definitely that's something that I've seen my skills um, sort of develop in. Uh, and I think those two things, gaining a rapport and also being very adaptable and also being quite um, prepared to deal with lots of different things means that I think we have um, some, some really good skills that can be applied in lots of different areas. No, I, I can't really add anything to that. I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, we, um, when you step back from the ambulance-based role and try and analyse it, 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 it's it's quite unique, isn't it? You, um, you arrive at a scene with a set of circumstances that you quickly have to evaluate uh, and a set of problems that you have to solve uh, and, and that applies whether it's um, you know a kind of a complex primary care play uh, case with a patient with co multiple comorbidities whether it's um, you know, a, a road traffic collision with multiple casualties the, the range is endless and that it, it's that adaptability, problem solving and seeing the solutions. And I'm a great believer that um, paramedics, um, as, as with other uh, what we call frontline healthcare workers, the people at the coalface actually know the solutions. Uh, they know what people need uh, to, to improve their health care and, and, and improve the health of the, the community they're in. So, we, we, um, yeah, I, I, I think it puts us in a very strong position to... Um, to influence healthcare in different areas and, and get involved in healthcare in different areas. 
Gary, could you speak to your sort of organic journey through through paramedicine, just for, just for listeners, just and maybe speak to some of your educational and vocational experience uh, that's brought you to where you are now. Yeah, thanks, Owen. It's, it's been a journey I could not have predicted. Um, you know, I, uh, I joined um, an ambulance service in, in the late 1980s when things were very different. Um, and uh, like a number of people I know, I, I guess it wasn't necessarily first career choice, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, and uh, it was, uh, you know, I, um, I I thoroughly enjoyed my, my first few years uh, doing what we now call uh patient transport and then getting into um, the, the one of the early uh, ambulance technician courses uh, actually trained as a, as a paramedic um, the old-fashioned way in the early 1990s uh, and uh, you know I, life on on the road uh, sounds like a cliche but but that set of constant challenges was was a really interesting you know the whole life experience I don't think you could get a better life education than being an operational paramedic about you know how, how society works and, and taking the measure of, of the uh, the communities that, that you serve but I guess I always always enjoyed helping others along as well on that that journey to to produce uh, good good care and good outcomes for your patients so I think I suspect um, training and education in some way, shape or form was, was always beckoning and um, a bit a bit nomadic. I, I moved around services a couple of times. I was always curious to know what was over the fence um, in the next ambulance service when there were there was, gosh, I think there was 40 plus ambulance services when I started in the UK. There's only 13 now. Um, so. Um, from, from moving around and looking at the opportunities, I um, I got into the training department uh, in uh, Gloucester in the early 2000s. And I think since then, I've um, yeah spent the last 20 odd years taking education as my main career pathway. Uh, and uh, that, that's been fascinating. I, uh, I was a clinical tutor in, in Gloucester for a while, a clinical lead when we went through a merger. Then I got a fantastic opportunity to go work in New Zealand as a training manager for uh, the Wellington Free Ambulance. Um, if anyone's listening from New Zealand, hi. Um, what a great little organisation Wellington Free is. Uh, and then came an interesting opportunity sort of to, to step sideways. New Zealand, like the UK, like Australia, was embracing degree programmes for paramedics. And uh, we were closely linked with um, a place called uh, Fitalea uh, Polytechnic in um, just outside Wellington, uh, which was one of the two organizations offering a degree program for paramedics. And they wanted a program lead. And I guess I got that job uh, more for being having some management experience than, than for being an academic at the time. But that opened up all sorts of interesting opportunities for teaching and research. And the general development of the profession, uh, because at the same time, uh, and it's, it's a very interesting time to, to, to mention New Zealand. Um, uh, literally uh, this week, some of my colleagues from New Zealand are celebrating the fact that they have become uh, registered paramedics uh, in the New Zealand uh, healthcare framework. Uh, registration was something we were lobbying for and pushing for uh, when I was there and long before I was there. 
So I became involved in, in the professional body, which at the time was, was Paramedics Australasia, and we set up New Zealand's first um, uh, chapter within the professional body, which is, is really going strong. Uh, it's great. And, 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 so, and, and, and one of the things I love about education is it, it starts to, it kicks you into all sorts of interesting areas. Uh, you know, I think um, because to be a paramedic, um, we we kind of need the expertise of all the other professions, don't we? If we in in the, in the, in an ambulance role, if you're dealing with a maternity case, you need to really have learnt from the midwives and then and the uh, the the obs and gynae specialists. If you're dealing with a um, road traffic collision, you need to have learnt from the trauma specialists. If you're if you're dealing with children, you need to learn from the paediatric specialists. So being in education gets you a little finger in all those areas of knowledge. If I could retain it all, Owen, I'd be brilliant. But you know, <laughs> um, but I will I will you know I, I've talked a, a lot about me, but I will just just one reflection I think that that might be useful to your listeners. I go right back to the early 2000s. One of the things I, I, I believed, and, and it was true about working in education, is that if I keep up my clinical um, time as a paramedic as well, I will be a much better paramedic because I am immersed in the learning. I think that was true for a while uh, until the general busyness of life took over. And I guess I started to practice less and less. But I think that's, that's perhaps an important thing to, for folk to remember that if you enjoy the clinical role uh, don't let it go too soon um i think that's perhaps one one mistake that i made scary that's fantastic and i think i'll, I'll just come back to you in a minute actually because i'd like listeners to hear about your insights about where you are now your revelation oh. the, your your kind of your reflections about how it looks and feels to be where you are at the moment but I'll, b b before i do that i'll just come to caroline and sure, yeah, yeah. just come to caroline just ask caroline could just you maybe uh, illustrate your organic journey through through uh, being a paramedic and up until where you are now. I think it's fair to say I was, I was writing a little list earlier and I still feel like such a baby, even though it's been sort of 15 years, which I think now is quite a long time to say you've been a paramedic for. But, I, you know, certainly when I think about when I started, um, there were so many people that had sort of had crewmates, permanent crewmates for 15, 20 years. So I still feel like quite a baby um, in, in my profession. Um, but certainly, hopefully, some of the things, I guess, that, that I've done maybe will resonate or hopefully inspire some of the listeners and um, will give them some ideas. Um, but essentially, I, uh, I went to university. I went straight from college. Um, so I'd had a few Saturday jobs um, and things, but went straight to university and I did uh, what was one of sort of the first foundation degrees in paramedic science. Um, so that essentially meant that I went to university for a year full time. And then in my Easter, summer, Christmas holidays, I did the old um, EMT, um, EMT program, the IHCD, um, Emergency Medical Technician program. And, and then what that meant was that in my second and third years of university, I was able to work as a relief on a two person ambulance. And um, after about six weeks of mentoring, um, I was able to work on a two person ambulance. Um, and I just went to university in the second and third years um, for eight weeks um, in each of those years. So I think that that was incredible in terms of being a 19 year old working on an ambulance and you know really not knowing anything about what life is like and um, it and I think as you said Gary it's just 
probably the best way to learn about about life and it really opened my eyes and so that was amazing exposure I worked with lots of different people I was generally filling in for people who are on annual leave or or off sick whatever so that was incredible to take advantage of all those different clinicians experiences and learn from them Um, but having said that on the flip side there was no sort of NQP program and so really I had about 10 weeks worth of mentoring in total um, for my technician and my paramedic skills and so it was it was sort of very much I feel like sort of quite in the deep end when I'd done my my foundation degree I then went on to top up and do my BSc um, and that included four of the ECP modules so the old emergency care practitioner modules so sort of the advanced paramedic in sort of Um, urgent care practice perhaps is what you'd call it now Um, and that really gave me an opportunity to consolidate that practice working in walk-in centres and urgent care centres which was incredible experience and I I sort of did that on a on a bank um, kind of contract process after my degree which was which was brilliant and I think I was thinking um, actually this week uh, one of my new colleagues um, she uh, fell off her bike this week um, and she's fine, but she injured her wrist. And she asked me to do a lower limb assessment on her, which is something that I haven't done clinically for a long time. But I, 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 I did sort of manage to do that. And we worked out that she probably needed an X-ray. Um, and, um, and I think I was just thinking about that and thinking about how actually doing those hours in the urgent care centres and the walk-in centres really ingrained that kind of that muscle memory about doing patient assessments um, in my mind. So it was really time well spent um, and then after working um, on the road for about five years and then also doing this bank work in, in walk-in centres and, and urgent care centres, I had a bit of time mentoring junior paramedics and then I decided to go into education as well. So I went in as a, as a sort of a clinical training officer for an ambulance service, um, which uh, I did for about 11 years. Um, and I totally would agree with Gary. I know we're going to come on to reflections in, in a little minute, but I totally agree with Gary in terms of um, how it's really tricky, especially if it's not built into your contract, the clinical time. It's really tricky to try and maintain clinical hours and to keep yourself really super sharp as a clinician. Um, so, so following a bit of time doing that. I then had a career break. I also went and lived and worked abroad in Australia. Um, and then I came back for a couple of years and worked in a programme that was funded by Macmillan. And that was all about service development. And uh, very recently just left the ambulance service to go and work in palliative care. So that's all stop tour of my career there. That's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So, um, so Gary, just, just coming back to you for a sec, how does, it, how does it look and feel at the moment? Just, you know, for people maybe that have started a career, they're thinking, gosh, you know, love to work for the College of Paramedics one day or indeed work as a clinical tutor. How does your role at the moment look and feel? Yeah, sure. There's a lot in that question. I, mean, I will. Um, it's interesting. I think you know, part of my role um, uh, is a foot in the college's uh, education work, uh, and um, it, it, you know there are forty plus universities uh, teaching paramedic science and paramedic practice at undergraduate level now. That, that's huge. We're talking you know um, five thousand or so students up and down the UK, all um, you know excited to become part of this great and growing profession, uh, all with their own ideas and. Um, 
you know, I guess just to finish off what I was saying, when I came back from uh, New Zealand for, for family reasons um, about eight years ago, um, I, I worked in, in um, the university um, near where I live now at Plymouth. And I do remember my uh, boss at the time, the head of school, was actually a pharmacist by trade. He, he was a bit of a convert to understanding paramedics. I think when we were first in the universities, people were a bit suspicious of us, especially when we started doing um, things like lifting assessments and asking questions about driving and stuff like that, which are all essential part of the ambulance role. Um, but, you know, I, I, th I think, he, but we, we can't, I think we kind of converted him or, or perhaps you know, I should, say my, my colleagues who went before me who this, this fantastic um, little program at Plymouth um uh he he said to me not long before I moved on that he wanted paramedic students to come in with with ambitions in the same way that medical students do so if you if you chatted to a bunch of medical students you find quite early on in their careers they know they want to be a gp they know they want to be a vascular surgeon um they um know that they want to um, you know work in public health whatever it whatever it is they develop those ambitions quite early i think we're seeing that in, in paramedic students now i think we are seeing this um uh, plethora of opportunities and, and we've yet to hear about your own role I mean which is very interesting and exciting at the moment um uh, we then the, the, and uh, critical care is obviously a very popular choice it's very high profile uh, within the media and, and it attracts people um uh, and, and not everybody can do it uh, at the same time you know primary care is uh, the workforce needs to grow to meet the demands of the aging population. So uh, again, I'm just majoring on the clinical practice roles uh, from, from, from where I sit. Um, if, if you're ambitious and you work hard at developing your knowledge and applying your knowledge, the world's your oyster uh, really at the moment uh, as, a, as, a, as a new paramedic. I mean, you know, let's put it in context. These are really tough times. Um, we, we, we're bound to mention COVID at some point uh, and anybody coming into the profession now is coming in at a time like none of us have ever experienced in our lifetimes. Uh, and it will, it will, I think for, for many, it will actually have a really strengthening impact on their careers uh, as they go forward. But, but there, there are a wealth of opportunities. I mean, uh, you know, we're in the biggest major incident any of us ever seen. Uh, there was a stage of my career, I almost went down the emergency planning route. I was quite fascinated by, um, you know, the, whether you're dealing with a, you know, everything from a flood to a train crash to, uh, you know, all, all that kind of stuff and how the, the, the planning and so on that goes into it. But, uh, you know, I stayed with education um, and uh, you know, the education, uh, to some people might sound a little bit dull, but actually for a paramedic, I think it's it got its own sort of paramedic education DNA where things like, um, you know, simulation and, and you know, immersion in, in, in the sort of uh, the, the near reality of, of clinical experience that we can create in, in a skills lab or in a car park and, or, or anywhere else is really important. Come back to the point of the question, but I keep thinking you keep jogging useful little memories, I think, going with. And one of them is... Um, when again when i was working in new zealand and and uh, it designed a fantastic little simulation center for we, we were sharing with the nursing faculty uh, and, and we kept having to point out that paramedics work on the floor uh you know that we generally don't find people lying in there well, we do find people lying in their beds at home but we needed floor space and we needed outdoor space and and, and all that preparedness for the for the, the real world of practice is, is an exciting thing about education
so from where I sit now, um, yeah, yeah we, we, we're providing uh, an ever-widening variety of, of continuing professional development for people who are developing their professional roles in in ways we probably hadn't even thought of 15 years ago. I mean, who'd have thought people like, like Caroline and others that I know are, are sort of leading the charge to make sure that, that good end-of-life care is delivered appropriately to people at that you know the the the, the moments of life that that um, you know uh, we're all going to experience at some point, and and you know helping people die well is as much as important a, a role of of a paramedic as as you know resuscitating them when feasible. Uh, so to Caroline, just how do, how does it look and feel? I know you're quite new within the role, your current role at the moment, but maybe if you could just take us through how it's been so far, and and you maybe that that tiny little bit of journey up until until now where you've you've really had an interest within end of life care yeah um yeah sure so I guess a lot of the work that I've done kind of leading up to this point has been voluntary I guess sort of extracurricular bits and pieces um so I think I really sort of started to get quite interested in end of life and palliative care after doing a transfer, so working on an emergency ambulance, I'm not sure, um, the, our sort of non-emergency uh, transport service probably wasn't available at the time for whatever reason. Um, and I did a transfer to a hospice. Um, and I just going in, that was my first experience of going into a hospice. And I really, um, it was very different, like completely different vibe, obviously to A&E, but um, totally different vibe. and. I really just kind of wanted to learn a little bit more about what it was all about. Um, and so I kind of looked at ways in which I could get involved with the local hospice in East London, where I lived at the time. And um, I decided to do a, a diploma in massage therapy. So I did massage therapy for patients or their carers who were involved with the service for a couple of years. And that gave me a lot of experience in the sort of social side of things and the psychological side of things and a little bit of knowledge because I had access to notes and things so a little bit of the clinical knowledge as well but didn't really sort of have much of an understanding about the clinical components um, and then when I worked abroad I worked in a hospital for patients with motor neuron disease and also in a, a larger hospital as well on palliative care wards which gave me the kind of clinical focus that I and sort of clinical learning that I, I wanted and that really sort of just continued to build and develop. Um, and when I came back to the UK, uh, we were really fortunate to be able to have funding from Macmillan Cancer Support, and they funded a team within the ambulance service, which enabled me to work alongside a palliative nurse consultant and had amazing learning from her. Um, and I was in, an in a position to have the opportunity to be able to deliver um, I guess some of her knowledge in a more bespoke way which is more suited to emergency services and how paramedics come across end-of-life care situations and um, so I guess with that role that was sort of mostly education and service development and then experience that I had abroad and then that voluntary experience within the hospice just sort of really knew at that point that um, hospice care is something that I wanted to go into um, and certainly hospice care in the community because I still um, love going into people's homes. I still 
love I think it's a privilege I love being in people's environments I love meeting their families I don't necessarily love the clinical environment of hospice or of a hospital um it's amazing but it's I just prefer being in people's homes and what I'm excited about and what I've seen from just the very short few days I've been there so far is that I'm really what I'm really learning I guess is actually what is important to the patient and I know we try and do that as much as we can pre-hospitally but really actually before you go in and work out what the clinical problem is it's just how are you what's what's the what's affecting you at the moment what 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 is what is it that's bothering you um and you know I'm really tempted to sort of go down physical clinical questioning but actually half the time it's something completely different and usually things and this is why I'm excited to be working in the community usually things that you can sort of sort out by negotiating with other services district nurses occupational therapy social work and psychologists and what I'm fortunate to be able to have now is access to all of those services um, and build those relationships with local services within within that particular area um, of London that I'll be working in um, to really give a holistic um, uh, management to, to that, those patients' care. Okay, so uh, myself and Gary have spoken a bit about our backgrounds and particularly about education, but Owen, you come um, with a whole host of other experience in your many years of service. Uh, I'm wondering if you can talk to us about your career path. What, what journey have you taken through, through your career as a paramedic so far? Yes, I started out pre-paramedic. Thanks, Caroline. I started out pre-paramedic as an auxiliary nurse in a palliative care ward, actually, and a, and a stroke ward. Um, and that was a real testing ground, actually, for seeing acutely sick patients and, and patients at their end of life. Um, and that really illustrated to me that there was more and I, I wanted to explore more and so I would always I, I would always tell people that might be thinking about healthcare it's it's just about a few steps at a time and actually a, an auxiliary nurse or nurses nurses aide is a fantastic taster and, and step into that domain because you really start to engage with patients lives and see very much the, the, the difficulty as, as an illness progresses, but it, it's a real testing ground within being a paramedic. Went on a few ride outs and then thought, yeah, this is for me. I'm gonna go do my paramedic science degree in, in down in Hertfordshire. Did that uh, three years, came out as paramedic, worked in the east end of London. So worked northeast um, Edmonton, Tottenham, lots of trauma. Anyone who's worked in northeast London will know that you know you can't escape from lots of trauma there and and so it really started from from an early early time started to get a desire to fo a focus really for potentially um hems so the helicopter emergency medical service um i started out actually working so i moved into central london worked for the pru for a while so i worked for the physician response unit and again that's a nice analog for, for the for the London's Air Ambulance because it's very similar systems and processes, similar SOPs, similar ways of working. 
And so it was, and it it really got me fascinated in medicine again because what what I saw in a lot of maybe my contemporaries or in the you know early two thousands very different ambulance service back then as as we all know, um, it got me interested in 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 the non emergency calls because they're they're all they're all a learning opportunity, and that's why I would always advocate. There's always something to learn from every every call really, and so yeah, it really fashioned my desire for critical care. I went for for Hems, got us a comment um, back in 2009, and it, before I actually went on Hems, I'd done a lot of expedition work in Central America and South America as well. And just push myself out of my comfort zone, really, was continually trying to push myself out of my comfort zone so that it forced me into new new circles, new ways of working. Went, did HEMS, uh, the, the then nine months of comments, as it was uh, in 2009. On the back of that, did my diplo- diploma in immediate medical care and had a taste, had a real hunger then for critical care. Went on to do, uh, to study um, again for a master's in critical care at Cardiff University. So uh, I got a master's, I had my deployment in immediate medical care, and then I did a few other courses as well, teaching courses. Um, went on to the push bikes for a while, um, so I was paramedic on, a, on the push bike, this, the CRU cycle response unit, became a team leader, and then from there went to become an advanced paramedic practitioner in critical care. Um, so did that for five and a half years. Um, loved it, but actually, um, as you can probably both attest to the fact, a lot of jobs do have shelf lives. And uh, I really felt like the, the fruition of that shelf life had, had, had come to pass in my life. Had been involved in a lot of humanitarian aid, had worked as a consultant for WHO uh, for the last five and, a, five and a half years in the MENA region, so the Middle East and North Africa. Um, and so liked the humanitarian work, had a taste, uh, dipped my toe into it, Again, again, it, the, the, the pattern it there is, you know, if you can dip your toe into another domain, you know, as maybe you did, Caroline, and indeed as maybe you did, uh, Gary, uh, so you can just get a taster for, 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 for a different domain. Like to apply for a job with uh, ICRC, the International Committee of Red Cross, uh, having taught in um, at sort of ministerial and political level and government level um, all across the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, got a job as a pre-hospital delegate for the, for the uh, International Committee of Red Cross. And that's where I am now. So I'm in Cairo currently, uh, working as a pre-hospital delegate out here, working with the military, working with 16,000 paramedics out in, out in Egypt. So working with the leadership and disseminating um, educational concepts, mass casualty management concepts, trauma, um, trauma first aid concepts, working from doing a gap analysis to then to then really seeing what works, seeing what we can disseminate, using digital uh, modalities as well, so digital transformation, and really just trying to pivot and, and use innovation as well. Thanks, Owen. I think we actually, without realizing it, have more in common, the three of us, than we knew because actually all of us have gone to work abroad, all of us have done various little, like you say, dipping your toe in different waters there and just to see how they feel, but also having the opportunity to do service development work or service evaluation work. Oh, and you're working on a massive scale at the moment and doing your work where you are, working out where the problems are and how you can improve areas. Um, And Gary, you were doing the same with education in, in New Zealand. Um, and I had a little bit of opportunity to be able to do that 
just recently with Macmillan and, and in Australia. And I think what I guess the, the one of the purposes of this podcast is is um, not to um, sort of blow our own trumpets too much, but it, to demonstrate the options available to paramedics there are just so many I know we've sort of already said this already but there are so many and in this country in other countries um, and in different spheres and we're just really lucky and I think um, I think it's really you know saying that you're a paramedic carries an awful lot of weight um, and you automatically come with this oh they're, they're incredibly responsible people and it does, you know, and our skills allow us to really be able to bend and develop and work in so many different ways. It's, it's, it's very, we're very lucky. We're very lucky. Um, and it's a really exciting time. I would agree with that. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with that. And I think the diversity, you're right, just within what, what Gary said and Caroline, what you said and, and the diversity within myself, the analogues or the pattern recognition is, is really like so dipping your toe into something. And, and, and I suppose my advice and a question to both of you really, what would your advice be to, 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 early, to, to younger paramedics? Because mine would be try lots of different domains, see what works for you. Because there, there might be things you absolutely hate. You might go into emergency planning, you might go into um, urgent care and absolutely not be for you, but but try it. What, what, what would you guys both suggest? I would echo what you said about um, uh, you know, testing the water and, and, and finding out what, what interests you and, and what might interest you, not just in the short term, but, but in the long term. Uh, you know, be curious. Um, one of the areas that the real big growth areas of, of paramedic development we haven't mentioned yet is research. Uh, I mentioned it briefly earlier on, but there, there's been a fantastic growth worldwide in, in research into paramedic practice and, and what makes a best practice. We understand far more now than we did, say, even five years ago about um, what works for best practice in, in uh, the various areas of the paramedic work. And it's thanks to people who have, have got the bug for research and have got the bug out of their curiosity to understand why we do what we do. So, um, when, I, when I'm teaching undergraduates, I, I, I always encourage the question. I think some of, some of the best ideas come from you know, second and third year paramedic students saying, well, why do we give this drug then? Isn't this one a bit better? Why don't we give that one? Um, you know, and and you know, why do paramedics do that? And, and, and uh, so, um, you know, I guess, yeah, uh, number one, um, take, take curiosity with you. Always ask questions. There's no such thing as a daft question. If you, if you don't know the answer, ask the question. Um, and, you know, I think if I could rewind my career, I would ask a whole lot more questions, um, uh, you know, because I think we've changed from um, a job where it was pretty much laid down for you what you were going to do to a profession where we are driving forward what we can do for our patients. Uh, and, and I think that, that's a big difference. So, um, yeah, and... Uh, as well as the curiosity, I'd, I'd probably hark back to something we've talked about a lot already. Is, is um, you know, d don't don't lose sight of the roots of, of what you learnt uh, in that unpredictable environment. Um, you know, whether it's in North London or West Devon or, or or in any country in the world, really, how you walk into new situations, appraise them, deal with them, manage them, get a good outcome. Um, yeah, that, that's that I think is 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 really important. 
And you carry that's fantastic, Gary. And absolutely, I think I think that that is such a fundamental skill to retain, actually. And and that level of critique as well um, that comes from research, being able to critique the information on an anecdotal, a day-to-day basis, and from a research basis, have a have a questioning mind and 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 approach it because critique is and learning to critique maybe at level seven or level six is is not always a an easy skill to uh, to 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 foster mm. um but caroline from your perspective someone's coming someone's coming into the profession quite early on what, what would your advice be to someone who's sort of looking at someone with a whole diversity of roles but but it's quite curious yeah i th- i think that it's really easy when you um, when you see a little bit of the ways in which people work, whether you're doing a bit of placement as part of your undergrad in hospital or whether you're working with an advanced paramedic as part of a day's placement, whatever it is, it's so easy to just look at those roles and think, wow, they're all, I remember doing, going through my hospital placements and, and doing a bit of placement on the road with other people and thinking, wow, all these jobs are so amazing. These people are so brilliant and you want to do it all, or certainly I wanted to do it all. Um, but what I would say, and I guess probably from my personal experience as well, is to really take your time, really take your time to try and decide what it is. I'm going to sort of say probably a bit of a dichotomy here but I think take your time to understand which area is you want to try and focus your kind of day job in work as an as a um, a non-registrant work as a paramedic really gain that experience so you know as Gary said you know the fund the, the foundations really well and then if something tweaks your interest like APP critical care or APP urgent care or research or whatever it might be I cannot stress that you should spend a day with people or two days if you can on your days off. It's so brilliant working shift work because you can just, you know, bag days with people and say, please, can I come and spend the day with you? And most people, I mean, I don't, I've spent a lot of days with people shadowing them. Um, and I don't think anyone's ever said no. And that's not because I'm an amazing human. It's because people are really pleased to show you what they do. And um, so I would say if something does sort of treat your interest, then then go and spend a day with people and see what their job looks like and see whether, you know, that is something that truly you can see yourself doing. It aligns with your values and and you really think that is somewhere that you could be. Um, so take your time trying to decide. But on the flip side of that, I would also say try not to shoehorn yourself into any one particular pillar of work. I think it's really, um, it's great to see research paramedics. It's great to see um, advanced paramedics. It's great to see managers and leaders who are awesome, but maybe try and factor in some of those key pillars into your role, whatever that may be. So a lot of ambulance services, Gary, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, a lot of them have got their own clinical audit and research unit. You could do a project alongside as part of your CPD, alongside your day job, you could do a bit of clinical audit um, or a review and to get a flavor of what that kind of work is. You could do a bit of um, time teaching. You could spend a week or a couple of weeks working in the education department and going through OSCEs with people. 
you can spend a little bit of time developing your leadership style and then putting that into practice when you're working clinically. So I think it's really important to try and develop a lot of those different skills, um, you know, research and audit, um, management and leadership, definitely leadership, um, your clinical ability, um, uh, uh, as well as as well as sort of your communication and things like that. Um, so that would be my advice. Absolutely agree, Caroline. And can I can I just take a couple of things you said a little bit further? Um, uh, well, I, I could. We've been talking a little bit about the DNA of a paramedic, what makes us what we are, and you said, like, I want to do everything. Uh, and, and I think that's it's kind of a little bit true, isn't it? Because we we're involved in so many different areas of healthcare by virtue of um, you know, the calls we undertake in that ambulance role. Uh, there is this, kind of, and I think it's a bit of a two-edged sword because I, I, I did, I definitely, I wanted to be good at everything. And as you progress um, into perhaps uh, some some more advanced skill sets, uh, we can't be the expert at everything. None of us can be absolutely expert at everything, but it, it, it's something that seems to happen. So it's got its, I think that's got its positive side, but it's also something we've got to watch a little bit. Um, but I think you, you, the other thing you said about shadowing people and going with them, and, and again, it's something that I, I will often say to students, what we, I think we need to learn to actively choose our role models. We will all choose role models consciously or unconsciously. Um, you know, I can think of the guys on station who I wanted to be like uh, when I was a, a young paramedic. And I think of the guys who I didn't want to be like as well. Um, but I'm not sure I um, sort of flesh that out in terms of you know who who's who's giving the best experience to the patients who's giving them getting the best outcomes who's who's acting the most um professionally uh and and in terms of um you know they they, they really are uh, demonstrating to to the world that, that how important this role is to our communities so um yeah, yeah look around um uh, not just in, on your own station on your own environment but actually you know thanks to media and social media we can look around the whole big wide world of paramedicine now uh, and say well actually who, who's leading the charge and who's who's the people i would like to learn from and, and sit alongside and i think as well just alongside that gary um taking a little bit of time, especially if you're an undergrad and you're coming through um, and perhaps you are, you've come straight from school, um, taking a little bit of time and obviously everyone's different and everyone, you know, and we're always all learning, but take a little bit of time to understand what you're like as a person as well and what kind of values mm. you have, because whatever role you choose to go into and whatever career path you take, it has to sit nicely alongside how you are as a person and what fits well with you. Um, so take a bit of time to, to learn about yourself as well as the other people and the other options available. Yeah, yeah, brilliant point. Absolutely agree. So could I just ask you both where you both think the profession's heading? So we've, we've sort of denoted our organic journeys through being a paramedic and through the profession, but where do you see it heading in the next two, three, four, five years? Maybe Gary to you first. Yeah, um, I think it, it, 
we've talked about a, a number of different specializing career routes that you can take. We certainly haven't covered all of them. There, there are plenty more that we, we could have uh, considered. And in each of those routes, whether it's primary care, uh, secondary care, critical care, uh, leadership management, educate, whatever it is, I'm quite sure as paramedics, we will keep pushing the boundaries. We will, we will, we will um, improve the quality of what we do. But I think one, one area that we're just starting to touch on, and, and perhaps it's been particularly important for these last 12 months, but I think it's always important, it, it is how paramedics can engage with um, politics and society, uh, for one to put it in a better way. And that's a real big thought, uh, I guess, in the sense of that, having talked earlier that um, by working at, at the coalface of, uh, you know, 999 calls, urgent calls, seeing what goes on in people's homes, seeing the problems, um, I'm going to say public health because I think as we start to understand public health needs, we start to realise that, that a lot of what's driving the demand on paramedic workload is, is some of the problems that we have in our society and inequalities in public health. I mean, you, you'll see this, your, your, your work um, you know, in, in North Africa and the Middle East, I mean, you, you've probably seen it writ large, but we also see it when we go into um, you know, uh, different aspects of, of UK society. And I think, um, you know, if, if I, to go back 20 or 30 years, I think in, in many ways, paramedics were, were very um, conservative. You know, this was going to be an area where we get more problem incidents. This is an area where we get less problem incidents. We, we were too quick to judge. I think now we're starting to understand actually that, that so much of healthcare demand is driven by um, things like um, inequality, inequality of opportunity, um, lack of diversity, hidden discrimination, all, all these kind of societal factors. I think that's, if there's one area I'd like to see us grow as a profession, it's, it's in that area of understanding the public health issues and lobbying for change and, and, and working hard for change. I think, I, I, I think my personal view is as a professional body, we are just starting on that road. We're, we're very new to it. Um, unlike perhaps other bodies who've been around much longer than us, like the Royal College of Nursing and, and then uh, the medical professional bodies. Um, but uh, you know, we're in the club and we're seeing the problems uh, and we, we, we can make an impact. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I really agree on with all those points. And I think you're right, you're at the coalface of social deprivation as a paramedic as well. So you see the, the demographics and you, you touch and feel them, you very much treat them. Um, and, and the health inequality that goes along with the social inequality. So it's, uh, I think, to bring that to the fore on a public or political domain is useful because actually, we need people uh, and advocates that have been there, have lived it, they've, they've breathed it, and they've seen they've seen the the, the first hand effects of it. So I, I couldn't agree more, actually. Caroline, from your perspective, where do you see the profession heading um, from a diversity perspective, and or from a sort of specialism perspective in the next few years? I think there's no real reason why paramedics can't continue to keep sort of moving across boundaries and um, bringing their skills to complement other healthcare professionals um, or social care professionals skills. 
Um, it's not, I think it's not about sort of um, trying to be nurses or other professions, but the areas in which we can work and our skills can be applied are vast. So I think hopefully we'll just continue to see paramedics working in more and more different areas. Um, it, it won't just be your um, your sort of traditional either educational or management. It will be things like social prescribing, um, practice paramedic, uh, diabetic paramedic, um, all these different types of roles. And I think it's just really exciting time to be in our profession. Let's watch this space. Um, so Gary, um, could you just give a snapshot for listeners, just if there was a, if there was a story or an anecdotal experience that you could just recall that really not only typified, but maybe solidified your experience as a paramedic? I'm going to give you a recent one from education because I, I, I love it because um, I, I think education is, is, for, is for everyone. And uh, you know, as you when as a paramedic, you specialize in education, you start to learn a whole new set of skills about how people learn, how people develop, um, how the thirst for knowledge gets under their skin. And, and uh, you know, to, to give it a little bit of context, once upon a time, um, and you know, if I go back 20, 30 years, we kind of, we went to a training school and we expected to be taught stuff. We expected information to be downloaded to us. And the educational theory behind that was um, really very behind the times. Uh, that's not really how we learn, is it? You know, we, 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 we only learn what we want to learn at the end of the day and what we, we, we drive to learn. And, and a good teacher is, is a facilitator, is somebody who creates an environment and a set of expectations for learning. So my favourite story from recent years is, is the, um, the uh, ex-army uh, student who, who came up to me at um, university uh, and this guy's really, really bright. He just hasn't realised it, uh, although he's starting to, because um, we, we, we did a, a sort of two-stage research project module. They, the students would um, propose a project in, in year two and then uh, do a little bit of research um, you know, uh, amongst their colleagues or whatever in year three. And this guy came up to me, said, blimey, Gary, he said, I thought this research stuff, it was going to be so boring and I was going to hate it and I can't stop doing it now. I love it. And, you know, for me, that's, ah, oh, that's what I'm doing this for. You know, uh, that's, that's, I've, I've ignited somebody's fire. Uh, and, and I think, you know, um, whether you do that in education, whether you do that in, in clinical practice, when, uh, you know, something goes really well uh, in, in terms of patient management, uh, that, that, those are the moments that, that, you, that, that I live for. Um, I'll pause there because um, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure Caroline's uh, got, got something uh, from, from her career as well that I'd love to hear about. It's a slightly random uh, random example, but I'm thinking back, it was, it was a couple of years ago now actually, when I was, um, when I was working abroad um, and I spent a, a few weeks working in Nepal. Um, doing rural healthcare in Nepal, and uh, and I was in uh, up in the in the Himalayas and really in the middle of nowhere, sort of just picturing kind of you know it, from from what what was classed as a main road, it was a sort of a truck ride for a couple of hours up into the hills, um, and I was working in a village which really was 
about 10, 15 houses, which were plotted very vastly in the, in the hills. And I was working in a rural sort of healthcare centre um, and um, doing lots of uh, random and um, sporadic kind of work. It was, it was very unpredictable. Um, and I remember one day a lady coming in and, um, and her daughter was translating for her, which um, I guess is, is, you know, sometimes we, we use, um, you know, uh, language line or, or relatives quite frequently in our in our work at, as paramedics and um, certainly where I work um, and so that that didn't really truly phase me too much but this lady and um, she came in and she had abdominal pain so I thought okay I can assess an abdomen that that's grand I can do this um, and she had quite an acute abdomen and it was swollen it was it was quite tender um, and uh, I, I put it down to an impression of, of um, constipation, possibly bowel obstruction, um, and, and all of the kind of clinical signs that would go along with that. Um, and I explained via the daughter that um, this, this lady, you know, I really recommended that she would go to the hospital. I, I felt like she, in the UK, she would certainly be a candidate for seeing a surgeon in the, in the ED and um, having a surgical assessment. Um, and I explained what I thought the issue was. And um, they explained to me that they had no money, which I guess is slightly different to this country, but they had no money, they couldn't get to the hospital, it was three hours down the road to the city, and they had no means of transport, and they absolutely had no money to pay for this, this healthcare. And um, so I said, look, you know, this is, these are the risks, um, this is what I think as the healthcare professional, these are the risks, I'm really quite concerned that this could be um, a, a life-threatening condition if it's not if it's not seen to um, and um, they, they said no it's fine we're, go we're going to do this and the, the daughter um, got some bicarbonate of soda and some turmeric out of her bag which was in like little plastic bags and um, dunked them into some some water shook them up and um, let her mum sort of neck that water um, and then she came back and told me the next day that um, everything was fine, everything had passed and, um, and her traditional way of medication had, um, had been successful and I was completely in the wrong um, and uh, maybe, maybe not, um, but anyway everything had passed and um, she had a bowel movement and, and all was fine. But although I guess that's slightly random and it's not exactly um, what we see perhaps working in the UK, um, I guess what it what it, it actually does on other levels is remind us that our patients may not and often don't want the advice that we've given. Um, the patient knows themselves the best and their family often knows themselves the best. Um, all we can do is provide the medical knowledge and the um, medical opinion that actually the patient and the person should be in control of their own health care and actually they want our advice but they don't have to take it and I think that is something that we are seeing more of and especially over the last year 18 months when people really haven't wanted to go to hospital quite often because of Covid and things like that so although it's a slightly random example I do think it um, describes some of the key things about um, being led by patient choice um, and things that we should should be doing um, that's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So I've, I've got one actually that's that's come to mind. Uh, and my one was from 2009, actually. So on the 31st of May 2009, I was 
on my first rotation uh, as common with the HEMS team and we flew down on a Sunday afternoon actually to a chap who was on the A41 southbound coming into London on his Daytona Triumph. Um, coming up into Finchley there's a sweeping left hand corner which is quite partial to uh, road traffic collisions because it, it tightens and about 3.30 in the afternoon, we got the call to a motorcycle versus um, versus barrier. And sure enough, um, Dan Richards, who's now a good friend of mine, um, had come off his, his bike, um, had partially amputated his right arm and almost broken every bone in his body. So he came off about his Daytona Triumph at about 80 miles an hour. He had bilateral... Um, femur fractures, bilateral tib fibs, um, he had calcaneum fractures, he partially amputated his right right arm and shoulder, his great vessels were showing, so you could see his internal external jugular vein, you could see his his, his trachea. Uh, he was Jesus 15. Uh, we so looking just flight landing and looking at the paramedic's face said it all actually i didn't even need to see the patient just looking in the in the eyes of the paramedic i could tell this you know that that dan was in is in a bad way anyway so we 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 package him up we we give him an anesthetic at rsi flying back to london i kind of dismissed the job although it was quite a profound job i i dismiss it because there's plenty of things going on anyways a couple of weeks later i get a phone call saying this look there's this soldier who's pretty much broken every bone in his body he, they've completed his amputation um and he's trying to crawl out of bed and come and see you guys up on the helipad and um we were like okay well you know send him up if he's if he's well enough to come and he was literally bandaged head to toe and came up to the helipad to see us and he was still in still in a, a bit of a state but got to meet him um, and then, and then, yeah, just, just absolutely inspirational character, really, and moved through. Fast forward, fast forward quite a few years. I ended up sort of befriending him through a friend, actually, through a mutual paramedic friend, from from treating him initially. And he went through an absolute journey from a near suicide attempt, from lose, being discharged from the armed military, near suicide attempt, losing all his money, to then bouncing back. Um, and having uh, a, a be, being a uh, a show host, being a, uh, a a cyclist with cycling in the Invictus Games, in the Paralympic Games, uh, he is now a good friend. I've interviewed him for a few podcasts. He's now getting married. I'm going to be his best man at his, at his wedding. Um, and from meeting him in 2009. You know, not knowing anything about this chap, Dan Richards, you know, just it, it, only been in the military a few years and, you know, screaming, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And the only we've, we've spoken candidly about this. We've spoken at international conferences where I give my story, he gives his and his 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 descent and then his ascent from from near suicide into where he is now you know cycling in the Victus games meeting prince harry meeting you know being a, a paralympic uh, athlete and just the inspiration and i think the the learning from that is there's 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 a person behind every patient and actually there's an organic story behind every patient and i think 
on that fourth night shift of, you know, at four o'clock in the morning when you're just absolutely tired, there's, there's a patient underneath all that. And there's, and there's an organic story and there's a struggle. And actually, I've walked. There's a couple. I've got two examples of, of these of these stories, and I won't go into the second because it'll take some time. But it, it illustrates to me that you might be meeting that person on the worst day of their life. It probably is the worst day of their life, and actually, don't. It's a privilege. It's an absolute privilege to be in people's lives. Caroline, at the end of their life, and then in the last few days and um, weeks and months. Gary, at the start of their career, at people's careers, and, and reigniting the fire. And for me, just be, you know, a life changing point where this young chap, 22 years old, had his whole military career ahead of him, lost his, just lost his right arm and shoulder. And actually, to walk through that journey with him now, consequently, and to think, actually, it's a privilege. This role is a privilege. Getting to, getting to see people at their most vulnerable, and just to not not ever forget that really. Absolutely, Owen. Uh, thank you for that. And I just add very briefly, uh, own experience in, in 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 recent years with elderly parents, and uh, yeah, we've had paramedic crews out at those uh, dark, dreadful hours of the morning when uh, you know you, your brain's not supposed to be functioning. But the professionalism of the crews that have been out to, to members of my family in the last two or three years has been phenomenal. Um, you know, hats off to them. Uh, if I, um, uh, in some cases, I don't even know who they were, I wasn't able to track them down, but I wanted to give them a massive thank you because you know they did exactly what you said, they, they knew that they were with somebody at the lowest point of their life and they, they gave everything, even when at 4am you haven't got a lot left to give okay so we've spoken a lot about diversity about lots of different uh, ways in which you know the profession is twisted and turned and and some fantastic options really for people just joining the profession some amazing options but let's uh, as we come into land on the conversation maybe let's look at some of uh, to both of you let's look at some of the Things that we need to be minded of, actually, with such fruition of and diversity of choice, you know, as as we've the paramedic professions come into all these new domains. Gary, first, maybe what what do we what do paramedics maybe need to be minded of when they are subspecializing into some of these um, some of these quite new domains of practice? Remembering that you're a paramedic and and you know, enjoying that. And, and I say that in a context where there's a great drive in the UK to use generic health professional titles. And um, I don't don't get me wrong. I think interprofessional collaboration is essential for good health care. We have to understand how the role of a nurse, the role of a physiotherapist, occupational therapist, any other profession complements our role, how we work together best as a team. And I don't necessarily mean a team in the same room at the same time. I mean, in that whole patient journey through the system, but you're a paramedic and you bring something distinctive to the party. So, you know, if you are an advanced clinical practitioner, congratulations, fantastic. But um, yeah, let people know you're a paramedic. Um, I think from a patient's perspective, that's really important. Uh, you know, when, when, I, when I go for, for healthcare needs, which I do from time to time, I don't mind whether I'm managed by a nurse, a paramedic, a doctor or a physio. I just want the most appropriate person. But I like to know who they are. 
and I'd like to know a little bit about their, their professional background and the expertise they bring to the party. So I'm just a little bit wary um, of, of um, you know, the, the titles we come up with that actually do away with the DNA of our profession. And, and I think I would be saying that if I was a nurse or if I was a, a physiotherapist or, 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 or any other profession, I just think the, the, the role has evolved because it's important to society. So remember you're a paramedic. And that question to Caroline as well, as, as you've diversified winter end of life care, is there anything you'd maybe say to or speak to a, the, the, the paramedic which is just qualified and has got all these roles and or maybe has been in a few years and is looking to diversify? Is, is there anything you would uh, say to them just to be minded of? I think if you are going into something that's relatively new, um, try and find other paramedics that might be working, try and really hunt and find them and see if they're working in those environments and try and speak to them about their experiences. Um, and like Gary said, remember remember that you're, you're a paramedic and be really familiar, I guess, with things like the College of Paramedics and things like the HCPC and your scope of practice and what you're entitled to do and what what where your professional boundaries are really know your professional boundaries well and I think this is something which is tricky I don't want to to talk too long about this but I think it's something that is tricky because as a nurse or as a junior doctor or as another kind of healthcare professional which is working ordinarily would work within a multidisciplinary team you're kind of brought up knowing what those boundaries are but when you're a paramedic working on the working on the road you're kind of working with yourself and another paramedic or somebody who isn't registered but your, your scope of practice is very very similar and perhaps you don't necessarily know where your you know, we should really know where our boundaries end and others begin but it's quite tricky when you don't know what other roles really do we do yes of course we understand you know what a GP does but do we really understand what a patient might need and what care they'll get in the hospital if they've got X, Y, and Z symptom, or they present in X, Y, and Z way. And if we don't know what kind of options are available, then how do we know where to refer and, and what the next stage is for them and what the options are? So I think just be really, um, really have a really low threshold for asking A, paramedics that might already work in that field, um, but B, the other experienced healthcare professionals as part of the wider team that you'll be working with. I'm sorry, can I just check with you? What might the options be here and here and here just to make sure that you're not aware of what you're not aware of, if that makes sense? It does. It does, actually. And I think it's a fantastic uh, lesson, uh, as well as what Gary was saying, really, which is don't forget your origins, but also be aware of what you, you may not know, especially coming into a new domain of practice. And I think I really like that, actually. Something Gary said earlier about seeking out mentors. And Caroline, you were saying just, you know, find someone who's walked in these in these shoes for, for, the, for the speciality that you're just about to walk into, because they'll, they'll hopefully have far more insight into that speciality. And some of the rate limiting steps, some of the uh, some of maybe the problems and, and things which which aren't aren't working so well, especially in the more recent domains and, and new specialities. Okay, as we're coming into land, I'm mindful we've been talking for over an hour now, so let's just come into land on the conversation. Um, as we do, are there any final thoughts from either of you 
to uh, to listeners that are uh, that are tuning in. I just want to reinforce Caroline's message about um, knowing your boundaries and limitations. It's about self awareness, isn't it, in terms of your practice? Um, uh, we there's been a massive culture change or we're probably still undergoing it actually from the you know if you go back to the age before mobile phones and and uh, mobile communications and where we just we had a we had a radio in the cab and, and um, sometimes it worked and, and sometimes it didn't work so well it, it almost created this macho culture amongst paramedics where i can handle anything um uh, and uh, you know i can deal with anything and and uh, we know that that can be detrimental to the patient because I can't actually, you know, I work much better as a team. So, um, you know, we're, the culture now of being able to phone a friend uh, and being able to get clinical support and clinical advice and, and uh, if you're not sure, ask, uh, I think is so much more um, beneficial uh, to the patient. And, and I would, I would like to say I think it's more beneficial for our mental health as well. I, I don't want to, you know, we, we could start a whole conversation about our, our health and well-being, but actually you need to be well to, to, to make your patients well. Um, and and uh, part of that is, is the, the, the sharing of decision-making, the, um, the, the, the sharing uh, of learning together, the, the being on the journey together in, in this um, uh, community of paramedic practice that we have. Just reiterate Gary's point. Always, always ask for help. We don't, we don't know what happens past the hospital door or past the referral door, so we never really get to close that loop of learning um, and understanding, and sort of really understanding those signs, which then relate to our uh, pancreatitis or whatever it is. So, going to, I think, going to every conversation with a patient, with a colleague, with a team member. Um, trying to learn something fantastic absolutely fantastic absolutely fantastic so perfect I think we'll end the conversation there I just want to finally say Gary if people want to learn learn more about the College of Paramedics is there any any particular website or uh, resources that you would steer them towards um, there's there's lots of resources on on our own website. It, it seems to grow on an almost daily basis at the moment, and that that's a reflection of what's going on in, in paramedic practice. Um, I will send you the link going to the interactive career framework because we've been talking about careers, uh, and for anyone wanting to look for ideas and inspiration, there, there's there's dozens of paramedics there who have shared a little snippet of their their career story in different directions we will be revisiting it uh, at some point in the, in the not too distant future we need to to grow that um uh document as it is to 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 reflect that these as we've talked about tonight the amazing growth in um in paramedic opportunities but um yeah if you go to the college of paramedics website um have a look under professional development you'll find the interactive career framework you can download it and have a play fantastic and we'll put that in the show notes for people to uh, to engage with fantastic that just leaves me to say thank you so much to both of you actually thanks, Owen. thanks guys You're listening to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network.